Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wayne, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. People have these unconscious kind of investments in actually staying stuck where they are. If I'm with someone who doesn't want to do the work, what does that say about me? Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Welcome back to the Mark Groves Podcast. I am excited to have returning guest, Mr. Jason Gaddis. Welcome. What up, Mark? Good to be here, man. I kind of got confused there between being a boxing announcer and the host of this podcast. I And in the left corner, wing. Man, I wanted to have you back on because I always love the insights that you share. Last one we did, you talked about handling conflict in your new book. I wanted to have you back on to talk a bit about some of the greatest challenges that you see in your coaching practice and in your therapeutic practice, because I figured we could maybe explore some of those because for the people listening, I'm sure that might be the common challenges that they experience. So is there any one that comes to mind? I mean, probably the biggest one, I'm so curious what you would say as well, because you've worked with so many people over the years, is not having a mutual partnership like where the other person doesn't want to do the work, you know? That's got to be one of the most challenging ones too. You know, it's like we want to do the work and often the source of the work beyond the breakdown or the 
the challenge that we're having, and then we're maybe turned towards books, podcasts, courses, school, whatever, is then we're like, wait, I'm growing. Now I need to get work to figure out how to get my partner to want to do the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and and that's that doesn't go well that often, right? If you don't want to go climbing and I up the big mountain and, and I want you to come with me to see all the cool vistas uh, and you don't really want to go, like it starts to feel like I'm dragging you up the mountain, you know? That's such a hard thing to face because when a person comes to me with that challenge, it's like, how long do I wait and hold and wait for them to catch up? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think everyone has an individual answer. I don't think there's a right answer, but I do think there's a line where we start to sort of in that holding, like the next step of growth for ourselves is to move on with or without them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is so scary for some people, right? To because so I think scary. oh man, and people have these unconscious kind of investments in actually staying stuck where they are. You know, like if I'm with someone who doesn't want to do the work, right? What does that say about me? Well, it kind mm. of says that I'm not I don't really want a mutual partnership because I keep mm. staying with this person that doesn't want to do the dance with me. That's interesting. So it's almost like in the staying, I never have someone meet me. Yeah. And then I, I never actually get the dream I say I want, yep. but actually requires me to likely let go of an old story or heal a wound, you know, that no one chooses yeah. me or whatever it might be. No one shows up for me yeah. or yeah, something along there. What's your answer to that? The most common, biggest relationship challenge that you've seen? I mean, gosh, that, that one definitely hit a spot because I have so much empathy for that one because that, that one is one of those whys in the road that we can only really live our side of the street. And then we hope that the other person will come because we love them. But as you said, you know, when is staying in a relationship that they feel rejected or not enough because they're not willing or wanting to grow and us have to stay in that dynamic too. Is that actually the loving thing to do? I don't think so. I don't think it's loving. I think it's like we're, as Terry Cole would say, we're, collu we're colluding with the smaller version of them. Yeah, nice. So I definitely s saw that one a lot. I think the other one I see a lot is the it's probably twofold. One, the dating and repeating the patterns of unavailability. I mean, that yeah. that one I just see so much. It's like, yeah. yeah, they said they don't want a relationship, but they treat me like a partner. And, you know, so I know they really do. So how do I get in here? Like, no, they don't. No, they don't. Stop. They don't. <laughs> Their actions. That one is probably the one I used to see the most. But I think it is really, it comes down again to exactly what you're saying is, is partnership misalignment. So it's, it is really the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we both have that, I believe in our story, right? Our own history. Yeah. I was kind of the classic unavailable guy and, and I finally got my shit together. Yeah. That dating unavailability is, I mean, it's such a painful wound. Mm -hmm. It's like such a painful wound because every single relational challenge is like, I'm not enough. Like it's just a... Yeah like a wrecking ball to self-worth yeah. because as you stay in it, you just get shattered more and more. What's, what's so cool about this one though, from a growth perspective, if we, cause you and I are growth people is if so much of the time they have like a wound around their parents, one of their parents being unavailable. So there's a, there's a recapitulation almost that they're kind of trying to recreate their childhood so they can heal it. So it's 
cool if a person's open-minded enough to go, well, did you grow up with a parent who was kind of an alcoholic or not really there or they were depressed or yeah, my dad, you know, moved towns and kind of left us when I was five. And so it's sort of like they're chasing a parent in a way and they're, and they're kind of coming from a younger place. So there's mm-hmm. just a really cool healing opportunity if people are up for that. Yeah, there really is. And it, it's interesting that often in our relationships, what we chase from other is what we need from ourselves. Yeah. You know, if we were to ask ourselves, like, what would choosing me be? And then it's like, oh, I remember talking with my friend Vienna Farron and we were talking about how do I know if I should stay or go? That's the other dilemma mm-hmm. I would see a lot. Mm-hmm. Big one. And man, there again is another really, it speaks to the first one that you're talking about, but, you know, depending on different misalignment of values, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I remember her saying, yeah, a great question to ask is, is staying or going abandoning myself? Mm. Like which one is actually self-abandonment? And I think we often think staying is self-abandonment, but sometimes going is self-abandonment. I think (laughs) for people who are perpetual avoiders, you know, it's like actually leaving is the thing I always do. So if I was to stay, then now I'd have to go to a depth or be witnessed or grow or become something I've never been. What do you think about that? I agree. That was my work uh, on my path is staying was the way edgier thing to do because I was a runner. I was a ghoster. I was a disappearer. (laughs) So to stay in the hot fire with a capable person was like, oh man, this is really scary and confronting. Yeah, I definitely had that. I remember I just saw a really funny meme that said, uh, this guy, I, I just met this guy who he just ghosted me. That wasn't what I meant by be more transparent. <laughs> I thought that was really good. I mean, the internet is so freaking brilliant with its hilarity. There's some good ones. The ghosting thing too, like people staying stuck in the pattern of ghosting. Yeah. Like they meet someone, they're seeing, don't get me wrong, ghosting is an incredibly traumatizing experience, Always. especially if it's like three years and your partner just packs and moves or fires you an yeah. email like, hey. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, like that. That's awful. Mm-hmm. When it's someone you've been dating for like a couple weeks and we're left devastated by it, I think there's interesting work to be done there. You know, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you said. A uh, lot of interesting work to be done. If it's short term and there's a pattern of ghosting, there's a lot of opportunity there to get stronger and to see it differently and not be so crushed by it. Yeah, because I know not only do you work with people, but I, I know not as much as you used to. Like, not, you don't have as many clients now as you used to, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Because your time is mostly spent <laughs> teaching people now, teaching, teaching people, people how right. to work with people. Right. Which I'm curious how, like, I get asked all the time, can you create a coaching program, a certification program, a, this program, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to. There's already, you know, an incredible one out there. And I always recommend the relationship school. Oh, nice. So, well, man, I just love that your work is this combination of therapeutic with coaching. Because mm-hmm. I think it's this really beautiful balance. I know that both you and your wife are both therapists. I know that you live your life with an incredible level of integrity. So first off, what are the types of clients or like students that you get because what i find is a lot of people who've been through relational challenges 
including the president company, you yeah. and I, really drove me to want to teach it as I was learning it. So oh, I'm curious, is that what you get generally? Yeah, it's so cool. When I rewind the tapes, I didn't want to teach people how to become coaches many years ago. I was really naive when I made that decision. I had no fucking clue what I was getting into, how big of a lift it would be. But it's mm-hmm. been ultra amazingly rewarding. What's cool is when you watch, as you've watched, people transform their lives around the relationship conversation. They naturally want to help someone, right? Yeah. That is going through something similar or they want to help their their former self and they become relationship coaches or therapists or counselors or and it's pretty badass to watch that transformation. That's beautiful to see, to take, you know, as as they say, to turn your mess into your message, to yeah. go and want to teach people to walk through the thing that you had to find your way through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Your pain becomes your purpose, right? And like you just said in present company, so many of my wounds in life are relational wounds. And no wonder I eventually started to, you know, sniff out the trail of like, where the hell am I going? What am I going to do with my life? It's like, go toward the pain, which I was previously majorly avoiding drugs and alcohol and so forth. And once I turned toward the pain, it was really clear where the path was. I am constantly going from one thing to the next. You know, I, I live a busy life and I'm often grabbing my nutrition on the go. And I, like you, I'm guessing, want to eat lots of greens. I want to crush greens all day long. I don't want to take the time to make a salad or do a juicing and have to deal with all that mess. And so Organifi's green juice has really been the answer for me. It's super simple. It just takes 30 seconds to prep. You got no shopping, no chopping, no juicing, no blending. You just add water, you mix it up, and you drink it up, and you let your body soak in the benefits. And they've recently just made their flavors super powered with crisp green apple, which I love, and also mint. So it has 11 superfoods, all of which are 100% organic. It has 600 milligrams of clinically proven ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that helps support a healthy response to stress, chlorella, moringa, spirulina, turmeric, and more, all of which work together in a sweet symphony of incredible energy-boosting and detoxing benefits. If you're looking for an easy, delicious, and cost-effective way to get your greens, go to Organifi.com slash love. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash create the love and you save 20% off this green juice as well as all of Organifi's products. What made you first get this inkling to start to teach it? Like I know becoming a therapist, actually, maybe I should start there. What made you become a therapist? Like what was the turning moment where they're like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And you're like, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Two things happened for me in my 20s, late 20s. One is I had been working with troubled adolescent boys in wilderness therapy programs and mm-hmm. outward bound and working with just, you know, troubled teens, mostly boys, kind of vicariously trying to help my troubled teen inside of myself that I had never mm-hmm. touched or healed. That and I reached a ceiling when I was working at these programs. I kept feeling very helpless helping these young kids. I felt like I didn't have the skills. I could help them to a point and I was a field staff and I wasn't a therapist and I wasn't a senior staff or whatever. And I was like, I just kept hitting a ceiling on what I could actually do. And they were like suicidal or they were getting in fights or they were threatening or whatever they were doing. I felt helpless. And so I wanted more training. And I was simultaneously working at a private school with kind of privileged kids 
and thinking I was going to go be a teacher. And they all kept coming up to me after class or before class, wanting to open up and talk to me about their problems. And I started to go, huh, maybe I want to be a counselor, not a teacher. And then I guess the third thing, I guess that's two things. The third thing was my relation, my own relationship failure led me to like, I'm fucking sick and tired of this and I want to change it. Mm -hmm. So then I went to graduate school. Actually, it was funny. I think, I don't know if I've told you the story, but when I started Googling back then, which was early 2000s, maybe it wasn't Google, maybe it was Yahoo or something, but I looked online for therapist and I thought, and I started finding all these occupational therapy programs and I started (laughs) emailing them to get occupational therapy program applications to join their program. I had no idea that a psychotherapist was different than an occupational therapist. It's funny that that's the first thing that came up. Now it would be like mental health, here, this, call this line. Back then they didn't optimize the algorithm for what you were (laughs) actually, I think you meant occupational therapy, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm curious if we can go back and forth for a second. I'm curious what had you move in the becoming a coach direction. You were in sales, right? And then you... Yeah. My my whole purpose was to manipulate human behavior to get them to buy, to use, to prescribe a different drug. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was... I studied relationships, but more from a, a sales perspective, human behavior. How do I get someone to change from this to this? I was obsessed with that. I was really obsessed with like that. How do you influence people? So much that I actually taught a consulting program called the Science of Influence. Wow. Um, yeah, it, which actually, when I started to do relational research, which was due to a relationship ending and being like, how did I get here? Why did I get engaged when I didn't want to? That makes no sense logically. Why would I spend the money? You know, like I just had felt like I was living a story I was taught, not the story that truly wanted to come through me. And right. that was getting me affirmation from, like I was getting approval from the people outside of me, but I was feeling very disconnected from my own life. and. Mm-hmm. I was dragging another person along who is a really incredible human and was a really incredible human. And that was hard because I was in this paradox where I didn't want to get engaged and I didn't want to get married. I didn't know why. And I didn't know why I didn't want to do that with someone who was really awesome. That led me to ending it and then being like, oh, wow. Like, I feel like everything I was taught about relationships is a lie. Mm-hmm. or most of it. But at the time I was like 27 and mad. So everything, you know, it gets to right. absolutes. <laughs> and yeah. I started to use the training I'd had in reading scientific clinical studies, all that kind of stuff to read all the research on love and relationships. And inevitably, of course, that leads you to the Gottmans because how can it not? Totally. And it led me to the positive psych and Martin Seligman, because at the time Martin Seligman had just done his first Ted talk. Mm. and also the Harvard at the time it was called the Harvard men's study. They Robert, I forget his last name. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I know who you're talking about though. Yeah. Yeah. He did a Ted talk too. I think it's called the secret to a good life or something like that. So I was really drawn to positive psych because I thought, wow, why haven't we looked at this in terms of relationship? Like what makes relationships really work? So I went back and, and took positive psych and then took coaching training and psychotherapy trainings. I loved it. I just was like, yeah. but it, much like you, I was tired of my shit. And I was also tired of my avoidance because a lot of really incredible women tried to love me and I could not receive them. Yeah, I knew it was just like a point where I, I was somehow oddly attracted to people just out of relationships and just unavailable. 
And I was like, this doesn't, like, this isn't working. Yeah, it, it just became my passion, like to deeply understand this. And the beauty about that is you can always learn more. Like it oh. never ends, you know? It's like, how deep does my dysfunction go or my challenges, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. Very deep over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel like it just becomes more layers. You know, you want to understand mm -hmm. because a part of understanding oneself is understanding oneself within a system and then understanding that system within broader systems and how all of that influences us. I'm very curious more specifically now how group beliefs influence individual beliefs and vice versa. And the weight of either, you know, depending yeah. on the stressors we have in our lives, et cetera. So in the, what differentiates, like, why did you create the relationship school versus like recommending people go do an MFT or do a, you know, like what's different about it? What, what was the need you were filling? Yeah, I, well, I had to become a coach first. So I, I went, I let go of my license here in the state of Colorado. I was in this kind of plant medicine stage and I was like wanting to be more, bold with my clients. And I just didn't want to be bound by the state laws, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to charge more money. I wanted to, I was already experimenting with social media. I had a blog and I was on Facebook actively. This was in 2008, 9, 10, 11. I was already kind of messing around there. And I, I was so frustrated that like, I want to just talk about my journey and be a really transparent therapist, but that was so frowned on in that right. you're, you're supposed to be kind of neutral and blank slate. And it's really all about the client. I'm like, how are we supposed to fucking learn, man? People need to learn from real human beings making the journey. So I just started them, talking yeah. more openly about my, my struggles and people really appreciated that. So I eventually let go of the license, became a coach. And then I saw a need. I also was tired of the kind of clients I was attracting, which were more of the victim consciousness of every week they'd come in with the same kind of issue. And I was like, did you do your homework? They're like, what homework, you know? And uh, <laughs> I was just like, what is going on? This is awful. And, and then I was also leading men's groups and experimenting with couples groups. Uh, I was seeing a lot of couples at the time. And I was like, man, people get so much better results when they're, they start to shift their attitude from client to student and they get in a group and they're forced to be around other people. Like, the results go deeper and farther and people actually stay with things. And I was like, Ooh, this is exciting. And then I was like, okay, I'm tired of complaining. There's no class in school. So I'm going to create one. Um, <laughs> I've been complaining about that for so long. So yeah, now I can't do that anymore. I'm like, actually, actually, I have a friend. <laughs> well, and your, your work too, create the love and just the Gottman's and Alexander. There's so many now awesome resources right out there. Yeah, there are. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, in the creation of that, have, do you find that a lot of therapists go to your program too? Yeah, a small percentage. Uh, more and more therapists are coming, it seems like, I think, for the obvious reasons of they can work, they can raise their rates, they can work across state lines as a coach, you know, and they're kind of comfortable now. They're, I think a lot of therapists are working from home now, like, this is sweet, I don't have office rent. Yeah. And they're kind of yeah. wanting to, you know, there's more people on social media, they're wanting to be more authentic themselves and express themselves. So 
a lot of therapists are artists and I think coaching is a good fit for them. So we are seeing more, but it's still a smaller number, maybe 10, 15% of our coaches are, are therapists. And some of them have done 20 freaking years in the trenches with clients, but they, they feel bored or stuck or kind of stifled and they want kind of a reboot. And they they realize that of all their clients' problems, relationships is like number one. Yeah. I always found it fascinating in the therapeutic world that if a therapist moves states that the client couldn't follow them or if the client moves states, yeah. the client, the therapist, because I was like, wait, what happens if they have attachment injuries? What happens? You know, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And there was also sort of a shared narrative about what you charge and what you're allowed to charge. Yeah. I had to break through that ceiling and I got judged for it in my, in my town here. Like people were like, you're charging what? Or then I was like, oh, I better not talk about my rates anymore because there's a big money shadow in the therapeutic scene. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, whenever those types of really established systems get disrupted by people who are like, wait, you don't have to do it that way. Right. And everyone's like, no, you do. We all like didn't sign an agreement, but we have an unconscious. <laughs> I mean, it's the same disruption that happens in families that haven't seen yeah. any system. I, I think it's happening in academia a lot now where people are going, unless you're training to be uh, a physician or maybe an engineer or something like that. I'm sure there's specific vocations people are thinking about right now, but there's a lot that you don't need secondary education. There's a lot of artists that went to university, which don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's art that it really helps with because they thought they need the permission of a degree. And yeah. I don't know, I think academic spaces and universities, that's getting heavily disrupted. Big time. Yeah. And I, I start to worry, like I'm, I'm over here in Boulder, Colorado and Colorado University is, uh, or University of Colorado is massive and they keep building new buildings. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? This thing is going down in like 20 years. It's not even going to be here. <laughs> like, we'll pick up that building, that extra building on a cheap lease in about 10 years. Yeah. It just seems silly. I'm like, I think, man, anyway, it's kind of the old guard and also this, that just the, like you were saying, the old systems mentality. It's hard to break out of that for some people. Yeah. I've been fascinated by the way academic centers have really not uh, championed diverse conversation. You know, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Jonathan Haidt and yeah. he was talking about how the diversity of conservative to liberal professors is usually about two to one liberal to one conservative historically in the 90s, I think he said. And more recently, in some departments, it's 60 to one. And the only one that's really sort of maintained wow. in the arts that's maintained a two to one is economics, which that makes sense. And he said, so what happens, and he's a, he's a liberal and he said, and he's in the social sciences. And he said, what happened, what happens inevitably in universities is that debates are happening between the far left and the middle left. And they're calling that debates of ideology. Right. And so there's only one sort of thought that's allowed. And mm -hmm. you see these in, in the cancellation of professors. And certainly I'm sure there are sometimes valid reasons, but sometimes it's like words that are misinterpreted. And, and, you know, universities really used to be the places of revolution and the places of challenge, having really modeling, having very hard yeah. conversations, you know? Yeah. And you and I, we stand for people having hard conversations in their intimate relationships, because in an intimate right. relationship, like a marriage, you're going to polarize, you're going to disagree. And you want tools to be able to work through that. You actually don't want to create a culture of the same because that doesn't exist in marriage anyway. There's just no transformation and it stifles growth and innovation. And so it is really interesting to see that 
I don't know, debate in those, in those institutions is, I don't know, getting kind of watered down. So what are some of the things then in, in your institution, we'll call that, <laughs> uh, what are some of the things in your institution that you guys really focus on in the relationship school? Yeah. One of the things that I love about coaching uh, is challenge. So challenging the client to move from what I call victim to author, to take responsibility for their lives. Because a lot of therapy has a tendency to be overly yin, overly kind of supportive. And mm-hmm. so coaching can bring in the yang, uh, the other side, the polarity, which is let's challenge this person. Let's call them forward. Let's confront them. Let's confront their strategy and invite them into a bigger possibility of who they are. So that's a big one. And then our model is called that I created is called present centered relationship coaching. So it's all about the here and now. So we might ask if I'm, you're my client, I might ask you, Mark, what's happening with you right now as you look at me. And then you might have an issue with me. And we want to bring that out in the open because it's good practice for when you go home to your partner. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of here and now experiments that come from my Gestalt training and also just other Buddhism and meditation and other places that I think are so rich to explore the space between us in the moment. Uh, Because it's very uh, often clients aren't used to someone saying what's happening between us right now. They're like, uh, holy shit, that's really intimate. That's really intimate. That's interesting. Yeah. What a different model. So we pop people into the now and give them reps on being themselves right now. Well, and then lots of role plays. Well, okay, if I'm your partner and you need to set a boundary, let's try it right now. You set a boundary with me, you know, and then I'll give you feedback um, on how that felt. So it's pretty, it's pretty rich. I think that's pretty different. We draw pretty hard lines around mental. Look, if this is a severe mental health issue, like bipolar disorder, for example, we need you to refer to a therapist with that training or a severe trauma case where the person's clearly in a PTSD place and they need way more support than you can give. Then look, we're out of our lane here. Let's, let's refer to, so we have our big referral list of trauma therapists and places to send people when they have these bigger issues. So we w- we just want to stay really focused on how to get people to communicate better, how to be a better listener in the moment, how to show up authentically as yourself and take a stand for what you claim you want. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. What about a baseline of like knowledge around family systems, all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, the, so there's kind of three components of the training, which is self, other, and coaching. So the self-other dance, we want people to learn about themselves, learn about their own needs, learn how to set boundaries, learn about their family system. We have them interview their parents uh, if their parents are uh, still alive. Uh, We have them interview an inspiring couple if they have one in their life. There's a whole class on family systems. So in the self-other, there's a course that's inside the coaching program called Relationship Mastery. And this is the class I wish I would have had in high school or college. So I just created that and it's took me fucking years to create this course. So it's pretty robust. Um, But yeah, it's a psych course, dude, on relationships. And so we want our coaches like, dude, you got to study this stuff. If you're going to like hold space for someone else going through some challenges, you got to deal with your own shit. You got to be applying this in your own life. And you want to be learning about how relationships work and kind of upgrading your map because your map is probably outdated. (laughs) So true. And I think of when I started to do the programs, like any of the coaching programs I took or the positive psych program, it's like, oh, I'm going to go learn this. And inevitably you're in it and you're like, oh, like this is, this is bringing me to my core. I remember the training I did on uh, like psychotherapeutic techniques. It was a group training 
And, oh man, I was in the hot seat as the uh, client. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Found some found some stuff in there. Oh, yeah. I just remember like finding some richness, but the beauty of being in it was that I got to really understand the depth of the of the process and the depth of the tools and how they were used and how they unlocked me and mm. all that kind of stuff. And then to be able to also walk someone to that depth and a depth that I'm not afraid of going yeah. to because I've been to, like, I'm not afraid that they might go there because I've been there. So then, yep. you know, we, we have, it's like, Oh, you can breathe. <sighs> you know, it's a, yeah. it's going to be, you, there's some part of you that has new capacity, right? Cause you went there yourself. Mm. So it's a personal growth school too. Absolutely. It's a transformational course. We, we have this testimonial video actually on our, on the page where, I played it the other day for someone and I was like, I laughed. I was like, isn't it funny that basically the only thing that people are talking about in the video is their own personal transformation. They're not talking about, it was so cool to work with a client and like, I'm a better coach. <laughs> it was like, holy shit, I'm a better parent. I can't believe, you know, how empowered I feel. It was, it was just awesome. You know? Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Well, you get to discover so much of the richness within yourself. You learn tools that you need for your own relationships. Yeah. And you know, I think one of the things that's most important about any interventionist of any kind is that they live what they intervene yeah. for, you know, yeah. that, that it's, it's, there's like a different, um, some might call it a vibration. There's like a different, uh, resonance to the work when the person talking about the work is in the work and lives the work, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I was grateful when I trained at Naropa and got my master's there in psych that 30 hours of therapy as a client was required in the program. Mm. I was like, hell yeah, bring it on. Cause I need some help over here, <laughs> you know? And I've continued that. Like I still, you know, when I, when necessary, I'm, I'm in therapy. Uh, I always have a coach or a mentor at my side. It's, it's essential. And then, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm practicing every day in my marriage and my family. Yeah. Same. That practice, that practice that practice. just never makes perfect. Let's be honest. Yeah, never, yeah. never get yeah. there. And, you know, seeing my partner as the opportunity for feedback and growth, uh, that was definitely a new paradigm in, in relating. Yeah. Don't you think like for you, do you feel like it's, it's a form of a spiritual path for you? Some sort of fast track transformational 100%. vehicle? You know, it's, it's like, uh, I've, I think I've quoted this a few times from Richard Rohr, where he says that the journey to the true God is the same as the journey to the true self. Like if you go out on a journey to find God, you'll find yourself. And if you yeah. go to find yourself, you'll find God. And I think that's so true of relating to other, especially romantic relationships, because when we make them and treat them as sacred, they are such a path to not just our higher self, our best self, our yeah. Most healed, most expanded, most loving. We also see all of that in the other. And we see that only through their feedback can we get there. I mean, like, talk about, I don't know if there's another more potent, super compressing way yeah. 
to find what we might call enlightenment. I don't even know what that means because I think if you hit it, you're not supposed to know. So I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was in a Buddhist Vajrayana Buddhist community for five years. We're hardcore meditation and pretty, pretty significant spiritual community in this area. You know, it's like any community, it has its own dysfunction. I grew a lot and I, I grew tremendously, but I, I haven't grown remotely like I've grown in my marriage. And, Same. you know, there's something about like sitting on the meditation cushion for me to deal with my problems is a little different than actually having to face them with my partner and talk them out and work them through and get back to a good place. It's a really different practice and it, it includes meditation, which is cool. I can be with my discomfort and my pain, um, but I think it's essential. Um, and it shocks me that people actually are in relationships that don't, don't want to look in the mirror. It's, uh, that's always really interesting to me that part where they don't want their partner's feedback. I mean, sometimes feedback's delivered as criticism, you know, not delivered sure. optimally. However, yeah, like relationships that are centered around not wanting to grow or not wanting to talk about anything. You know, I remember having the realization years ago that not everybody wants to be happy. Not everyone wants a good mm -hmm. relationship. Not every, it, it's weird for me to think that someone wouldn't want that because I, in my brain, I go, Okay, what happened in their life that makes them not want? To, you know, like I go to the I pathology of it, right? Because I think if anyone knew they could build the tools and become it, and have the ability to have that with someone, I think everyone would want it. Maybe I'm biased. No, I'm absolutely biased, but yeah. I do think so. I think if we knew we could, we would. I think you're right. It's like getting in shape or something, right? Or making a lot of money. It's like if I knew I could and the path was you know, laid out for me and there was just follow the steps. I, a lot of people would probably do it. But it's interesting with relationship because the, in 18 years of their formative years of that life, they, the template got laid down of how it goes. And a lot of people just fall asleep and say, this is how it is. And I can't expect better. I shouldn't want better. This is good enough. And I'm like, wow. It's such a disservice of our education system, which is not in any way devaluing teachers. They're amazing and underpaid, I will say. Yeah. A great vacation though. But in with all that said, you know, it's like the curriculum for 99.9% .9 of schools doesn't include how to handle conflict or disagreement or... Yeah. I think the fear, I'm curious your thoughts. I think the fear is what a student might discover about their own family system. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why they don't teach, uh, hey, this you're going to be attracted to people who wound you in the same way as your mom. You know, we're right. like, I live with my mom and she's just going to pick me up after school. Fuck. You know, like, yeah. but we could teach relating skills without doing that. We could teach conflict without doing that. We could even teach it in the framework of how countries handle conflict and people would learn how to handle conflict totally. individually. I think though we don't because there's so much shame in the individual. The mm. teacher would have to work through some shame of their own performance relationally to show up for that class, right? That's and, true. And a lot of people are still stuck in the fairy tales about you meet the one or find the right person and it all is kind of hunky-dory and it should just work out. And and then everybody hides their shameful relationship problems because we're supposed to have found the right person. It's supposed to be working out beautifully. And it's like, guys, we're all in a fucking sham here. This is a big fairy tale. Like, let's get into reality <laughs> and educate people because we all could use this life skill. And to be let off the hook. Like, yeah. Why is it that if you're dating someone in grade 10, let's say, for example, which 
let's just say you're 14 and your relationship. I mean, when I was dating someone at my first relationship really was at like 15 and I thought I was going to marry her. Look, that didn't allow me objectivity. She was a really great woman, still is a great woman. Yeah. But it didn't allow me objectivity because I thought that you marry, as soon as you enter a monogamous relationship, I mean, that's the only path. Like, where else do you go? You chose him now, forever. Uh And I didn't think of it as a sentence at the time. I was excited about it, but inevitably life happened and we broke up. What I thought was a strange paradox to be in at 26, 27, 25. It was like I was supposed to just have relationships figured out and there wasn't an option to leave. The only option was to figure out what was wrong with me that I didn't want this. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it was a weird, yeah. you know, and I think so many people are taught that their success is placed in their success, like their worth is placed in the success, quote unquote, of their relationship, which really has only one metric that it lasts. Yeah, I unfortunately, I think you're spot on here that the people measure their self-worth based on how they do there. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of us didn't get, we grew up in kind of families that had some issues and then we're expecting to have some like high, good track record success rate in our <laughs> late teens and twenties. Like, I don't think so. Like from where, like, where did we gather the skills? Certainly not porn. Certainly no. not Grey's Anatomy. Not fucking uh, reality shows. MTV. Oh my God. Those are awful. <laughs> right. It's just drama fest. Like if I start to learn my relational skills from the real housewives, no offense if a real housewife listens to this, no no offense, but there, but I mean, you're right. Like reality TV is not reality. And I think rom-coms and Disney movies, Disney movies are changing. Like Frozen is definitely a different story than Mm -hmm. what we've heard. I think the notebook at least offered, although there was some dysfunction going on there, it did offer some reality of growing old and someone, you know, getting Alzheimer's, like the pain of actual lifelong relating. Yeah. But so many movies, rom-coms especially, man, they're like chase the unavailable person, do the, you know, it's yeah. like toxic cycles of breaking up and get back together. I'm like, just choose one. Stop, stop going on and off. Yeah, well, and then there's the adventure kind of hero uh, death action movies that so many men like. And I, I like those movies, but the hero is often this emotionally unavailable stoic man and the woman totally. pining after him. And that's still kind of the story. And she's like, Oh, you're breaking my heart. And he's like, Oh, I've got to go save the world or got to go crush <laughs> like he's Bond. Not, he's not available. Like James Bond is so enough. unavailable. Dude, James Bond is a class. I, I watched uh, Skyfall, was it Skyfall? The new one? Yeah, the new one. It's good, right? And I was really like, good. man, it's just classic. I was like, this is the same fucking James Bond show I saw, The Spy Who Loved Me or whatever, like 30 years ago. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. I saw a really funny, I don't know if it was a meme, but it was about Taken, like the one with Liam Neeson. 
Mm-hmm. And it had like taken three. And it's like, at what point do you just take responsibility that you're a bad father? Like three right. times your kid has been taken, you know, is you're right though. The movies aren't exactly modeling for us masculine success and yeah. even what it means to be, I think the show, this is us really modeled um, mm, what you know. real life can be. I mean, honestly, that show is like, turn on the tears. It's so good. I'll write that down. Model handling, like a kid coming out, modeling, handling parents, interracial. I mean, it's a really incredible show. They did such a good job and they touched every subject and they touched oh, it nice. with grace. It's it's really good. And it might be one of the best ones that I've seen because the challenges the couples have are powerful. And, mm. you know, unlike what we see generally in our childhood, you actually see them sort of work through it, which I don't know for you, but that wasn't... Yeah. I saw my parents fight, but I didn't really, very seldom did I see them repair. I don't want to say I never did, but very seldom. I, yeah, not once did I see my parents repair. I'm sure they did, but I didn't see it. Man, how to apologize. Like talk about, I listened to the podcast. There's a two podcast episode. We'll put the link in the show notes for everyone. But it's uh, Brene Brown with Harriet Lerner. And it's called um, Why, I think it's called Why You Won't Apologize or How to Apologize. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And in Brene Brown, Harriet says, Brene says, I want, when I apologize to someone, I'm, I'm waiting for them to apologize to. <laughs> and Harriet Lerner's like, Brene, you can't apologize expecting an apology back. And Brene, you know, she's just so funny. She's like, well, then I don't want to. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. True. So you guys teach conflict repair. All that kind of stuff too. All, all that kind of stuff. You know, again, we're working on ourselves. Like everything we're, you and I are talking about right now is like, let's let's be adults here, learn this stuff, learn how to work through it, and then let's try to help someone else with uh, with what they're going through. And I, you know, I, I think it's just an amazing program. It's an amazing opportunity for us to kind of give back in that way as we're learning about love and connection. Awesome, man. Well, you are always up to such amazing work. I know that a lot of the people who listen to this podcast have been trying to figure out where to go, what to do, how do I get, um, how do I do these things? How do I teach these things? I get inbox questions asking that all the time. So are you guys, do you recruit like once a year? How does it work? When does it start? How do people apply? How do they save money? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, once a year we run this training September through May. It's a nine-month training. Um, oh, wow. You have to interview to get in, and your people will likely all pass that test easily because <laughs> you're so good at educating Guys, them. Everyone um, listen to this. You're going to pass that test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so if, if folks are interested, they can go to relationshipschool.com forward slash RCT. That stands for Relationship Coach Training. And you can apply to do an interview. They're open till September 14th. And actually, we're going to do a coupon code for you guys that saves a big chunk of change off the training, which is uh, you guys get $1,000 off our training. Oh, hell yeah. You hear that, Create the Lovers? Coupon code, if you get accepted and you want to also take the leap with us if because it's a mutual interview, you're interviewing us, we're interviewing you, the coupon codes create the love and that saves you 1000 bucks US off the training. So relationshipschool.com slash RCT. Yep. And we'll put the link in the bio. We'll put the code in the bio. We'll put all the links to Jason's stuff. Uh, Where do they find you on socials? Yeah. So I'm at Jason Gaddis at J-A-Y-S-O-N Gaddis, G-A-D-D-I-S. 
And uh, it's relationshipschool.com is kind of where we're at. Podcast Mark's been on a few times. And your books. And Anywhere books. books Thank you. Cool. Yep. Getting to Zero. It's a great, great resource. I think it's should hopefully one day usurp Marshall Rosenberg's NVC book on conflict and communication. I think it's I think it's a better book, but that's just my bias, of course. I think it's a freaking amazing book and everyone should get it. It's an, it's a game changer for people to understand how to navigate conflict in couples. And if you're curious about that book, listen to the podcast I did with Jason. We'll link that in the bio too. Jay, appreciate you. Thanks for coming Thanks, on. Thanks, Mark. Great hanging, dude. We could go for hours, I know. Thanks. Uh, definitely. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.